Welcome to chapter one of Identity in the Paradigm Process. Do I know who I am? Why identity matters? Like many of the topics we tackle, identity is complex. At Paradigm, we define identity as a person's self-definition in terms of goals, values, beliefs, and behaviors, whether chosen, established, or ascribed, that ultimately provides direction, purpose, and meaning in life. Easy, right? Not really. It's hard figuring out who we really are and what we really want with so much background noise like our parents telling us what to do and society telling us who to be. And there's another dimension that adds a little bit more complexity. Change. Identity is not static. Why does any of this matter? How can we live our best lives if we're not completely sure what our best lives look like? Remember, it's what your best life looks like. Not what your parents think your best life looks like or what society thinks your best life looks like. You. The you you want to be. At Paradigm, we think that Beyonce is an awesome example of someone who's harnessed all of herself and lives a life by her values, her rules, and her desires. We don't think we need to give an example here, but a recent one is when she performed at Coachella in the past year. She did a two-hour show that paid homage to her black culture through a step show and drawing upon black Greek university culture in the US. She created her show based on what she felt was relevant and not what would please a predominantly Caucasian crowd. On that same topic, which came under her mother's criticism, Beyonce responded, I have worked very hard to get to the point where I have a true voice. We can all have that if we want. Research has shown that people who have established their identity are in touch with their emotions, which makes them more resilient and less likely to become depressed or anxious. And only if we know who we are and what we want, we can be authentic in life too. Authenticity is linked to more self-esteem, life satisfaction, vitality, and adaptive life strategies. At Paradigm, we strive for all those things. So we really believe in this idea of an authentic identity. In today's chapter, we're going to focus on how we become our full, authentic selves. In the next chapters, we'll dive deeper into various parts of identity. Goals, beliefs, and values. How others influence our identity. How we can choose our identity. Our sexual identity. How we can find harmony in different parts of ourselves. Let's dig a little deeper. How do we become authentic? First up, authenticity is made up of four parts. Awareness, honesty, behavior, relationship realness. How does awareness play into identity? We're back on awareness again, and that's because it really is the foundation of everything. As we already know, awareness means being aware of our feelings, motives, wishes, strengths, and weaknesses. We don't just wake up with awareness. We need to have that desire to want to really know ourselves and come to terms with our full selves. All of it. It takes time, effort, and thought. How does honesty play into identity? This is the next step, where we take all the information from awareness, the good, the bad, the ugly, and we process it objectively. We often tend to tell ourselves stories about who we are, but our brains can be tricky. Honesty means taking stock of yourself without denying, exaggerating, minimizing, or ignoring either positive or negative parts of yourself, regardless of whether the information comes externally or internally. How does behavior play into identity? Behavior here means the act of being authentic. Living according to your values and preferences instead of wanting to please the world. This is the natural expression of your feelings, desires, and motives. How does relationship realness play into identity? Relationship realness is about being genuine in your close relationships. It's just about being you and showing all of your various sides. 
Are you ready to be authentic? So that we know what we're working towards, let's break identity down a little more. Who are you? This sounds like an easy question, right? But let's break it down a little. You can refer to both you as an individual and you as a collective. I'm half Swedish, half Filipina. I'm a startup founder. I'm a mother of a black Labrador, Odin. Or, we're a team. We're Odin's parents. The point is that identity has multiple layers. One, who do you think you are? Two, how do you act as being? And three, the perception of those actions from a collective. So who do you think you are? This refers to aspects of ourselves as an individual. Goals, values, beliefs, standards, self-esteem, and self-evaluation. This includes fears, desires, future selves, and our overarching life story. For instance, I'm someone who values integrity and kindness. I'm a lover of life. What do you act as being? This is our identity with respect to others. For example, I'm a child. I'm a co-worker. I'm a boss. I'm a partner. What do you think of me and my actions? This is our identity as it's shaped by larger groups that we belong to. For example, I'm a Swedish-Filipina bisexual woman. I'm a non-binary New Yorker. I'm a Muslim-Lebanese lesbian woman. I'm a Singaporean Buddhist man. We have so many aspects of identity within ourselves, and these interact and intersect with each other. Often we can end up with a fragmented identity, especially these days when we may be living all over the world, moving from place to place or from multiple cultures. It's hard to reconcile all of that. We'll be looking at how to do that in the next chapters. How is identity formed? There are three ways we can create our identity. Quantitatively, passively, and automatically. What is it when your identity is quantitatively formed? You form your identity quantitatively if you love exploring yourself in a rational way. You're open to new ideas and can stave off judgments to examine and evaluate your own self-construction. You love quantifiable self-stuff. You've got a Fitbit or an Apple Watch. And you love taking any psychometric test you can get your hands on. You're generally more on the rational side and you want rational information to deepen your understanding of yourself. What is it when your identity is passively formed? You form your identity passively when you don't want to actually deal with your identity and the things that might be in conflict with it. If you take too long in making a decision, your choices become dictated by the demands of the situation. Passive doesn't mean you're confused or conflicted about your identity. It's simply not wanting to come to terms with yourself and what you want. This isn't ideal because normally it'll lead to taking on a particular identity on an ad hoc basis, which makes it hard to have a cohesive self. You might even act a certain way to please others. What is it when your identity is automatically formed? You form your identity automatically when you adopt the identity of significant others by internalizing their goals and values in an automatic way, i.e. you haven't really thought it through. You might even make impulse commitments without considering the implications or consequences. A good example of an automatic identity is when we accept everything our parents teach us to be true. Why do we care about how our identity is formed or about identity at all? Establishing and developing our identity helps us to get to our authentic self. Having an identity helps us make our own decisions about life that makes us stronger and more resilient. By knowing what the ingredients are and understanding how to think about those ingredients, we can get to the place of being our true selves. We will go deeper into this in the next chapters. For now, we'll leave you with the first story to kick off the identity chapter.
Let me tell you a story. Today's story is Hannah's story that was shared with Jane Kroger, a psychologist and identity researcher. I met Hannah at the age of 72, volunteering to be interviewed in one of my studies of identity in late adulthood. Hannah reported growing up in a conventional New Zealand family, doing all the conventional things that being a conventional farmer's daughter demanded. There was no thought of an education for her beyond what was required by law. There was no thought during her late adolescence of doing anything other than marrying a local farm boy from the countryside who could provide more labour to her father and brothers and their families on adjoining farm properties. Hannah's life proceeded according to the family plan. As her brothers returned from the war and she married a local farm boy and had three children in close succession. But, gradually, a severe depression set in. Initially written off as postpartum blues by the local doctor, but eventually leaving Hannah unable to get out of bed. To the consternation of all her extended family, Hannah was admitted to a psychiatric hospital. Life had certainly not gone according to the family plan for Hannah, and Hannah had no sense of herself beyond those family plans. It was like my eye just didn't exist. I didn't even know I had one, just never stopped to listen. I just didn't know there was anything there. Life from that time for Hannah was a very long and slow series of moves through hope and despair. But even in those darkest of times, Hannah persevered. Through therapy and sheer determination, Hannah began to find a small voice. A voice from the very back of some closet somewhere that reminded her of her love of learning, her love of music, her joy in reading the literature her fifth form English syllabus had required. Love and rage dominated Hannah's emotional life over the following years. Through therapeutic support, Hannah continued to follow her interests in music and literature at the university, while returning home to continual family arguments. It was like my life was almost the template for Nora in Ibsen's The Dollhouse, and I was just like some raggedy Ann doll, not able to move unless someone else jerked me. Ultimately, Hannah's marriage didn't survive, although she shared joint custody of her children as they grew through childhood and adolescence. At the time of my interview with Hannah, Many years later, she was living as a widow in the countryside and able to reflect over a life well-lived, including remarriage to an established musician who shared many of her interests in music and literature, an eventual career as a high school teacher of English, and joy in the role of grandmother to her children's children. What a life. I can't believe I made it, with most of me still intact. No, that's not quite right. Me was really born in my mid-twenties, even though my physical birth was long past. These days, there's just a feeling of contentment and peace after the battle of my earlier years. And now I can really say, I, and mean it. Well, that's day one of identity in the paradigm process. See you tomorrow.